it was a big day at the White House. Historic. President Biden will be joined by thousands of Americans in celebrating the historic Inflation Reduction Act here. At and Zach Abraham's here to help us celebrate history. Okay. Right? Because it's all historic. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. From the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Soda Weight Loss has been so important to us as partners. Partner of the week at sodaweightloss.com. And uh, this guy wouldn't be where we're at. Zach Abraham, the chief investment officer of Bulwark Capital Management, joins us. My brother, uh, what a day for history. What a day President for history. President Biden will be uh, joined by thousands of Americans in celebrating the historic Inflation Reduction Act here at the White House. The president will highlight how this historic legislation will deliver for middle class families and why it's a major win for them over rich special interests. The president is proud that this bill delivers on promises that Washington has made to American people for decades. Man, you know, uh, Zach, I don't know. Could you tell that that woman is reading? She's so talented. Yeah, she's a real order. Yeah. Uh, Why does she even bother looking up? Why does she not just sit there and read? Because she looks up like every 12 words. Why does she I, even bother? Why do they send her out there? Why don't they have speech? Why don't they just have a text to speech? Just like Dragon Software? Yeah, like like a like a, a like do a have Alexa read it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's just hey, we're just gonna feed it in here. It, it, I, the wrong burgundy moments keep you know they, it just keeps coming. Here, here's the other funny one. Uh, it's gonna help out the average Americans over rich interest or, or, or special interests. Um, <clears throat> where's the majority of that money going? That's, I mean, where is are, it going? are make are mega cap companies considered special interests? I, I'd consider them that right. Yep. They're not going to hire Joe's plumbing down yep. the street to, to redo energy efficient plumbing in, in the right there. <laughs> I, this is, uh, I don't even know where to start on that one. Um, so, and we've talked about this before. Every time I hear the term Inflation Reduction Act, we're going to bring down inflation by pushing another $600 billion out there into the open market. Well, I mean, there is uh, uh, there is this advantage, though. Okay. On the inflation report that came out today, uh, the president is promising the Inflation Reduction Act will do yeah. just that and bring down costs. But this bill does not address food or housing, prices of which we are seeing going up. So what is your message to Americans who are seeing these rising costs? And are you confident that you're doing enough to to finally bring these down? So So look, the president has said for uh, some time now, when it comes to his his number one economic priority, is to deal with inflation, is to make sure that we are lowering costs for Americans' people. For, for the American people, for American read, families, read, read. Americans who have to come around the table, uh, you know, once a month in, in particular to figure out how are they going uh, to pay those 
those bills. Again, this is why Wait the, the event that we're back. having uh, in less than 45 minutes to, to uh, celebrate and talk talk about, you're here from the president about the Inflation Reduction Act, <laughs> is so critical. That is why Democrats and this president uh, took took the, you know, did the hard work to get that done is to lower costs on health care, to lower costs on prescription drugs, uh, and uh, and also energy costs as well. Look, when you look at the data, the inflation data, uh, we're, we're seeing more progress bringing global inflation down in the U.S. economy, Here as I go. just stated Money a few moments ago. Overall, uh, prices have been essentially flat in our country these, <laughs> these last two months. Uh, that is welcome news for American families. Wow, flat prices, right, Zach? Yeah. <laughs> so so we're we're going to say that inflation is severe and onerous enough to really upturn uh or overturn the economy and damage consumers and we're going to celebrate it not going up but not going down. <laughs> right. I, I, it, it rose I just w- by how much what percent and then stayed flat. Yeah. Yeah. I the the it, <laughs> And and the special, it, rather than special interests. Hey, ma'am, who are going to get those contracts? Who, who are going to get those those cushy, you know, bloated government contracts coming out of this bill, which is another handout? Well, Zach, and here we go again. Uh, the, look, the, 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 the president has been very clear and has said um, – <laughs> let, me, let me check my appendix really quick. Can you hold on? Right. Um, no. The, I, hmm. It, it just <laughs> I love it when you are, you're calculating like can I like is there any way to make this make sense because you're a charitable man you do want to try to give people the benefit of the doubt but that woman already has the answers this is the thing that that I did this show this week called the um, the illusion of respectability if you already have the answers written in your binder you don't give a stinking hoot what the question is you already have the answers written down and, which, which would beg the question, why do you need to check your notes? I, <laughs> you know? I know. Right. Um, why doesn't she just say, um, to save time, page 14 through uh, 16. Yes, over here at Fox News, page 17. But listen to this. This is the moment that I hope Republicans, um, to the degree that they have any brains and, and courage. Well, no, I'll take that back. They like to talk about tax rates because um, that's what they sell. That's their business model. One more, maybe two more, but you, you got to hear this. I don't know if you saw this because I know you were busy handling, um, you know, our money and stewarding things. This is so gorgeous, A, because of what happens while the figurehead is giving the speech, but B, how CNN handles it. Okay, you're listening there to President Biden at the White House. He's celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. He says that he's been fighting Big Pharma for decades. Um, But there is this unfortunate split screen right now with the Dow taking a total beating down more than 1,200 points. And so it feels like uh, it's hard to be celebratory for some people in the crowd. (laughs) It's hard to be celebratory for some people. Yeah. Well, I look, this is, <clears throat> I mean, we go in 18 different directions. We, want, yeah. we talk about markets. We can talk about, um, we, we, so as they're celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act, now I think it's really important to understand that the market used to be a much better pricing mechanism, meaning, you know, before there was all of this intervention of central banks in the markets, uh-huh. th- there was a lot more, there was a lot more really good data that markets would give you. Markets have been so distorted now by, you know, 
you know, artificially low rates, quantitative easing, Operation Twist, which was another form of monetary easing. Um, they've been so distorted that they're going to, and we've been trying to explain our clients that you're going to see periods of irrationality and then you're going to see really condensed periods of rational market action. Uh, and that's what you saw yesterday. So the, what the market was telling you is that when the PPI and the CPI data came out and you look at how aggressively they have hiked rates, that they've not even dented it yet. Now, oh. I, I think they're in the process of doing that and you're going to hear some celebrating about the reason why inflation is coming down. But what's going on in the economy right now is not inflation coming down. It's deflation coming back. We explain right? that, so, please. We explain that, please. So <clears throat> if, if you think about, think about COVID, okay? So you have to understand the way that the economists at the FOMC view the world. Um, first of all, just to show you why, and the irony is, is that everybody waits on bated breath with whatever the ECB, European Central Bank, the Fed, what all these people say. Yet, if you go back through time, there literally is no worse prognosticator about either markets, asset prices, or the general economy than those central banks. Just period. Remember coming out of 08, 09? Hey, we're going to have unemployment back down to, you know, three to 4% inside of three years. Remember, they completely whiffed on that. Nobody thinks about that. They're like, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to have average wage climbing of this rate. You know, average wage is going to go up within, they completely whiffed on that. I mean, literally these people couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. It's just factual, right? I'll go back to Ben Bernanke at beginning of 2006. The issues in subprime are contained, right? I mean, literally, if they're telling you that it is one thing, you will have a really solid winning percentage if you bet the exact opposite. So they're out there touting, we're combating inflation. As they're giving the speech, the market's <laughs> down 1,200 points. NASDAQ's down 5.1. Why? Because the CPI and PPI data haven't even blinked yet. CPI so, and PPI, what's that mean? Uh, consumer price oh, index yep. and, and, and yeah. And then PPI is the, um, the producer. Oh, it's the, it's, it's, uh, I'm just forgetting. I love what it the when acronym you, acronym, is. you acronym so often you figure what they mean. I trust you that it's a thing. Yeah. I get the CPI. Yeah. Yeah. So basically they're just different inflation metrics. One of them is looking at consumer prices. One of them is looking at producer prices. So like what it costs for these people to buy the goods that they use to make their stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at the consumer side and the manufacturing side of it. Um, and the reason the market's getting rocked is because they're like, oh, that means we got to have higher rates, right? And they, so if you think about COVID, COVID was incredibly deflationary, right? And it's because you turned the market off. You turned the economy off. So demand for all these goods goes down, right? It, you, for instance, if you took like, let's say you had the most irresponsible government. Let's like picture Zimbabwe, okay? Oh, if wait, Zimbabwe- I mean, Let's not point fingers at Zimbabwe. Have you taken a look at the figureheads <laughs> policies? Yeah, they're not. Let's say you've yeah. got the second worst governments in the world, Zimbabwe. Yeah. Okay, so so there's a part of inflation that people don't understand. You can have governments doing the most irresponsible stuff in the world, okay, budgetarily. Yeah. But if that money is not getting into the hands of consumers and being used to purchase goods, you won't see inflation, okay? Because inflation is all about too much money chasing too few goods. If you turn off the economy, that money's chasing nothing, 
So the Fed is sitting there going, we're combating inflation. No, they're not. They're taking a hose and putting the fire out of the economy. Okay, so the, the minute they, and this is why they're going to go back to, to cutting rates again. And the minute they cut rates again, inflation is going to come back with a tear. And the reason why is because when the economy is operating at full tilt, right, especially on the commodity and energy side, you haven't had the investment to supply that economy with what it needs. So again, they're, they're attacking it from a, it, they're going to take victory laps saying that the economy is, it, or we, we tamp down inflation, but that is going to be accompanied with a 30 to 40% stock market drop. You're going to see unemployment rates shoot up. Okay. That's coming third or fourth quarter of this year, unemployment rates are going to go up. Okay. So inflation will go down, but the trick is the whole way we, we need to be thinking about inflation is you want to impress me, keep the unemployment rate between three and 5% and bring inflation down at the same time. If your only way to combat inflation is to jack unemployment to eight or 9%, yeah. that's not a net benefit. You're just trading one problem for the other. Right. And meanwhile, you're not addressing the underlying issues. So what I'm saying is that people need to understand that feedback loop between consumer demand and all they're doing, look what they've done to real estate, Todd. I mean, you know, think of how many, how, like, if you look at year over year, think about what a source of liquidity that home refinances have been over the last 10 years at historically low rates. Yep. Okay. Refis are going to be down more than 95%. Okay. Real estate agents incomes are probably going to drop 90 to 95%. You, you think about all the feedback loops. Think about home remodel jobs stopped on yep. a dime, right? You, you cannot. So, yeah, they're going to quote unquote make CPI numbers look bad, but they're also going to double unemployment in the process. So he, this to us is where the rubber meets the road. And then once they double unemployment, guess what they're going to start doing again? They're going to cut again. Okay. The economy is going to come back. They still have not addressed the underlying issues. So the inflation will come right back with it. And that's why we've said, look, if you think that we're going from 9% to 25% inflation and we're the new Weimar Republic, it's not, that's not going to be the way it works. But you're going to see it wax and wane. So then the Fed's going to be like, hey, we got inflation under control. We're going to cut and stimulate again. And then boom, it's going to come right back. So the, do, do you, this have is, you ever read uh, Dante's Inferno? Collectively, yes, I've read the entire, but yeah, parts and pieces here and there, yes. So you, isn't that a great scene where one of the descriptions of hell is where you wake up in the morning um, and you are stuck beneath a tree and your liver's exposed and the crows come and they peck at your liver all day um, and you right. die around midnight and then you wake up the very next day and you're- Do it again. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your eternity. And I'm, yeah. I'm listening to this, um, at least like, you know, the Lord Jesus comes and at least, you know, we know that the battle's won overall. Uh, but this sounds like an economic, this sounds like a Dante-esque economic cycle. Um, and, and we're the ones who are stuck with it because these guys, they're fine. I mean, they're fine whether the inflation goes up or down, they're fine whether employment is higher or low. Uh, because they can play the game at such scale. Secondly, since they're the game makers, right, after the Hunger Games, I've never had a more astute pop culture uh, uh, reference. God has never handed me a better one than the Hunger Games. We live in the Hunger Games. Yeah, 100%. These are the game makers, so they're good, right? Until yeah. until you get a cat in the Severdine who says, yeah, actually, I'm not going to, we're going to commit suicide. 
Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, like, there are some big companies. Elon Musk has made some noise, and then he didn't buy Twitter. And Jeff Bezos, who's a leftist, and um, and I think he's become an egotistical, egomaniacal, you know, kind of typical billionaire in that regard. He, he's, um, but he's called. He's actually called out the Biden oh, administration know, on several issues. Oh, I know he has, yeah. particularly on monetary issues. I know. So is Howard Schultz. Um, I, well, I hear. I've actually heard from several high-ranking executives there that he's actually more libertarian. Who Schultz? But I mean, he be, yeah, no, uh, uh, Bezos. Oh yeah, uh, I think I've heard that too. Uh, but b- b- you know, Schultz isn't. Howard Schultz was a dear, dearly nice to me when I was young. So I, I will always and forevermore say this: he was extraordinarily. Uh, cool to me when I was a young kid getting started in business. So I always state that, but here's my thing. I hate him. I, I hate Howard Schultz. And, and I, I don't mean that really. I, I don't have hate in my heart toward anybody. Well, I was going to say, but, cause I'd read this book, something about love the neighbors thyself, but maybe that was. But yeah, but yeah, but that's, that's old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, just, it's actually that's, not. That's, it's new just, Testament. that's just the Bible. Jesus read. Old, yeah, no, the I just, the, just the Bible Jesus read. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I just, the, the Howard Schultz thing, just the Sonics, all that was, oh, that was so dirty. So, I, so I, many people hold that over his head. Well, I mean, do you, oh, so you're mad because you're not making money. You're a billionaire. You bought the local team yeah. and then you ship them off to Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I just, like, well, so it's not a big, I just, my, my point yeah, is about the Katniss Everdeen thing. If, if you guys haven't seen the hunger games, I really do ask you to watch it because it is a great political commentary. And if you've not watched it thinking in terms of political commentary, I would do it. Um, and yeah. the scene where, uh, the young people are forced to go through this game and they're forced to f- murder each other for the entertainment of the Capitol and, and, uh, to keep the country knit together. It's, it's a fantastic metaphor. And instead of being the champion at the end of the game, Katniss uh, with her fake boyfriend, uh, what's his name? Um, it's a weird name. Uh, anyway, PETA. PETA, yeah. So Katniss and, and PETA decide to commit suicide because Katniss is pretty smart. So they're going to eat the poison berries and then the game stops because, oh, well, we can't have, you know, we can't have no winner. And then the game maker um, finds himself at the end of the movie. He's to meet with President Snow and he's in this ornate mansion and he's uh, left in a room by himself and the guards lock the door. And then there's simply a great big plate of poison berries. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You're not getting out. There's no water. You'll never leave. Just, hey, when you're ready to die, these are here. Uh, Or you could starve to death or, or die of thirst. But the berries are here when you need them. And here's my thing. With Schultz, who is a leftist, and with Bezos, who I think is, okay, libertarian, whatever that means um, anymore. And all, all due respect to libertarian people, I just don't know what it means anymore. I really don't because I see Reason Magazine saying, yes, you should be forced to get injections. Um, right. If they just simply said, like, I'm thinking of leverage points. If they said, hey, we're going to need you to stop doing this. So we're going to shut the doors for a month. All of our stores. We're just going to cease economic activity for just a little bit here. I mean, do they have any leverage like that? Like, like I'd always thought it'd have been cool when Bill Gates was being sued for um, Microsoft is being sued for antitrust mm-hmm. and, and he couldn't do this. And now he is a psychopath and he is, he's a sociopath. I always thought it'd be cool if Bill said, nah, yeah, nah, I'm, I'm shutting it down. What? Yeah, I've made, yeah. My, I've, I've made my money. My executives are good. 
Microsoft ends well, I mean, in 30 days. Do they have any leverage that way? I mean, to, 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 uh, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, to, to a certain extent they do. Um, you know, the only, the only issue is that you'd see that, you know, typically speaking, you'd see the, the competitive aspects of the sure. economy just fill right in there and pick up for them. But yeah, I, but like you said, it's all playing a game. I, I, one of the guys that, uh, he actually was just here, uh, a partner of mine, he runs our, our algorithmic portfolio, brilliant guy. He was a proprietary trader at UBS, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and ran the commodities trading desk for Graham Capital, one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. Um, MBA from Wharton, mathematical engineer, brilliant guy. Um, and he's, he's, he's been in a lot of these meetings. He was actually showing me a picture of he and John McCain. He was in the Brookings Institute uh, uh, for, for foreign policy. And um, anyway, brilliant guy. And, you know, it's, it's stuff that you and I know, but I just don't think people really understand how different it really is on the inside versus what you see. You know, even these hedge fund managers that are worth, you know, two, three, four, five billion dollars a year, they might have a year where they're down 50. They don't really care because A, it's not their money. And B, uh, they're swinging for the fences because they that's the, that's the incentive base. They want to make 10, 10 billion in a year. They don't want to make one. You know, and, and people just don't get it. Like there's this assumption that everybody's out there, you know, they're doing the best they can. And that's not true. It's just a completely rigged game, especially for the further you go up the ladder. Yeah, oh, and, I, know. I, I know. Did I tell you the story of how I got schooled on why um, – a, a secret, I had a secret investor to my board. Did I ever tell you that on my internet radio? Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Yeah. So one of our, one of our board members was voting shares of another venture capital company and he chose not to tell us that. And it seems that this other venture capital company was getting ready to sell an internet radio company uh, that was nowhere near as good as ours. Um, but he was told to say no to the sale to real networks. Wow. And this, that's collusion. This probably cost me 15 million bucks. Wow. That's collusion. Yeah. But then there's, then, then, um, he was kind enough. No, another partner was kind enough to sit down and explain to me, um, why that actually happened and how that came about. And I'll share that with, uh, everybody. And it was a conversation that occurred at Salty's, um, on Alki and this other partner who's since gotten out of venture capital because he just couldn't stand it. And by the way, so we're clear, I had great venture capital partners. That was the one bad experience I had and that partner since apologized. And I want to be very clear, there was one terrible human being I met in venture capital who was truly a duplicitous snake. This was just unfortunate. We'll talk about the inside of that. Zach Abraham's with me. He is the chief investment officer, Bulwark Capital Management. And if you like what he's doing here, um, he has his very own radio show and it's a really good one. Um, you can go to knowyourriskradio.com and register and, and of course get the podcast there. Also at knowyourriskradio.com, you can sign up to have a conversation with Zach and his team about your portfolio. And I was watching the movie Top Gun Maverick the other day. And it's not really a, a movie we'd normally watch, but we're in the mood for something good. And we've heard a lot of people like this and they certainly play the hits. You know, Val Kilmer's in it and they, they open up with the same song and a lot of the same actors are in it. And it's, it's a pretty predictable movie. It has some fun scenes, huge hole plots, uh, plots in the hole. The holes in the plot, forgive me. But here's the thing that I noticed. That there's this scene where Tom Cruise and his adversarial protege, 
Um, they're in this death spiral. And, you know, when they're, when they're 30,000 feet in the air, who cares? You know, 25,000 feet in the air, who cares? Like a minor air here, we're cool. 10,000, okay, now it's getting a little serious. When they're about, you know, 3,000 feet in the, uh, from, the, from the, the earth and they're going, I don't know, 600 miles an hour, now things are a little tight. Now every inch matters. This is very similar to your retirement. Now you're 30 years away from retirement. Okay, so you lost 20%. That sucks. That's awful. Sorry. And you'll, you can probably earn that back if you don't go make really stupid decisions. If it's the day before you retire, hey, honey, we're going to retire. I'm going to go take my money out of the one account we have it because, hey, we've had it all in Bitcoin. It's what? It's gone? And how do you go tell your wife? Like probably you tell her as you are, you know, jumping off of a 60 story building. Honey, about the Bitcoin thing, we went too long. <laughs> and did you have life insurance? So that matters, the closer you are to retirement, it matters. Get in touch with Zach and his team. They're at 866-779-RISK. Their entire focus, in fact, obsession is risk management and telling the truth about our rigged financial system and how it is, in fact, the system we have. So we can scream about it being rigged or we can figure out how to work within it. Um, it's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. And a reminder from the government who requires me to speak the following phrase, investment advice can be given without a client services agreement, Bowl Capital Management and Investment Advisor, Representative Check Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. So where was I? Um, so Zach, this guy who was voting, what happened was he was short when he wanted to make the investment. So this bigger VC gave him some money to make the investment. So he was voting their interests. There had They had more of their money in us than he had of his or his funds. And um, so he, he said no to the deal. So 150 million gone, gone. Mm. So 15 million mm. out of my pocket. And- uh, and the Lord did that for me because if I'd gotten 15 million at that age, I would have been, I, I, I would have been a horrible person. And Amen. yeah. And so this guy took me to lunch. I said, so, so what was it? Like they couldn't sell two internet radio companies. He goes, let me explain it this way. Um, they were going to lose money for the first time in their firm's history. So if they sold that company, they lost a little less. And that was first money in and their partner's money was in that, their personal partner's money. Now, if they had added that sale of the dial, they would have made a little bit of money in the fund, but then they would have had to pay taxes on that. Mm -hmm. And it would have been the taxes that delivered the loss. Yeah. They couldn't live with that. Yeah. I'm like, so they said no to $15 million for me because they didn't want to, take a loss in taxes? Yes. Why didn't they just come to me and say, Hey, will you cover our loss in taxes? Well, they, 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 Todd, I think that's a great idea of something I just jotted down on here on, on my notes. I think that's a great, that's another perfect example of what I'm talking about of people thinking that, um, and even their financial advisor thinking that he understands. And I, again, I'm not being pejorative when I say that, but being a financial advisor and a money manager are two very, very different tools or, or jobs. One is managing a portfolio. The other one is selling financial products. It's just, they, they, those, those, 
Those things don't even belong in the same universe. It's completely different. But one of the reasons why people get in so much trouble, even financial advisors, is because of that, right? There's this stuff happening behind the scene at, at, at those levels that don't make any sense from your perspective. So you're just not going to see it. A classic example of this, and I've actually been somewhat supportive of this guy, but, but he knows better. And when you see, for instance, when you see Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan come out and one of their quote unquote analysts issues a buy and a price target on a stock, right? Like recently, a couple different analysts came out like they were competing each other with each other with higher price targets on Tesla stock, okay? Yeah. If you're looking at from a financial side of it, Tesla is like ground zero for companies that are about to get smacked by the global economic environment, right? If you wanna buy a Tesla in Asia and Europe, just on a cross-currency basis, it's 35% more expensive than it was 12 years ago. Tesla also has increased their costs, the cost of full self-driving is higher, and the input costs, virtually every piece of material they're putting in that car is going up. So you're sitting there going, how in the world can you hike a price target? We as, cons and then you watch the, then you watch retail investors grab that, oh, Goldman put out a note. They're jacking the price target. Okay, that is what we call a sell-side analyst. Okay? What does that mean? First of all, it, it means that the, the, so if you're at an investment bank, picture Goldman Sachs, yeah. right? They manage money on their own, but one of the things that they also do is sell stock and bonds and investment products and deals and IPOs to other investors. And it's one of the reasons companies come to them, right? If you're going to IPO a company, let's say you're going to IPO a company, which company are you probably going to sign with? It's going to be the investment bank that promises you the highest IPO cost or, or price, right? Okay. So now the sell, the, the, the sell side analyst, if he's right on his price target in Tesla, how much money does that make the firm? Nothing, right? It's, it's, it's marketing. Why are they putting out these bullish price targets? The sell side analyst business is all about recruiting investment banking money. Okay. So they jack their price targets up to attract that company to bring their investment banking business to them. You know, cause if they do like a $20 billion debt underwriting for Tesla, yeah. that'll put five, 700 million in their pocket. Right. So that, so you're like, Hey, why'd you go buy that stock? And they're like, well, the analyst at Goldman Sachs, you know, that's Goldman. They want to get things right. And I'm like, yeah, they want to get them right for them. Okay. Their price target is about them recruiting investment banking deals and dollars. And so then I listen to a guy like Jim Cramer. Well, he'll reference these, these sell side analysts. And I sit back and I go, Jim, you know better. You know that's a racket. The best analysts in the world work for the hedge funds or previously the Volcker rule changed this. They worked on the prop desks trading the bank's money. It, it's, it, and people, again, nobody, you, you would sit there and think rationally, Goldman doesn't want to be wrong about a stock call. That doesn't make them look good. I can trust this analyst. No, no. They don't care about the stock call. The stock call doesn't do it. It's a non sequitur to them. What they want is the 500 to $700 million payday on the new debt issuance that Tesla wants to do next year. Right? So, and it's a perfect, you know, it just, it's a perfect example of what you just said. You're sitting there going, why on earth would you guys want to do this? Because they're looking at it completely from their point of view. Right. We're only seeing the, the tip of the iceberg, literally. Right. So and, this is, this is like very similar, not to cut in, but like, um, just, I'm trying to personalize this. I'm not trying to compare our internet radio company or our big data company. The internet radio company was interesting because we had 
Wall Street firms coming and trying to tell us to go public. And I think I've you know mentioned I we didn't we had some revenue we had we were okay so we had revenue a lot of internet radio companies a lot of internet companies didn't um, no internet radio companies did we had some that we made had, you guys a value that made you a value play we were a value stock yeah right <laughs> yeah. built to last baby and yeah. uh, we had exclusive contracts and um, we had assets we had significant tech access uh, um, assets very significant I would add and. So they would come and tell us to go public. And I would always look at this from a perspective of um, a guy who was middle-class, you know, making the most money I'd ever made in my life. And still to me, a thousand bucks was a lot of money. I'd say, I feel like a thousand bucks. And looking at it from that perspective and trying to think, how is this not a swindle? And those guys, basically, if they would have just told me the truth and said, hey, listen, of course, your company's not worth anywhere near 500 million bucks. We know that. But here's what we can do is we will go pump the prospects. We'll go tell people about the future like you've done to, to raise, you know, your 12 million in venture capital. We'll go tell people about the future. And we'll go tell people about what you will be and how this adds up in the strategic picture of the new economy. Then sophisticated people will say, okay, I'll take a runner on this. Yeah. Now, once that happens, now you've got a bunch of cash and now you can co-become significant. I might've considered it, but I, when I smell a swindle, I do not want to be the guy. I don't want to be the guy sitting at the car table looking around going, who's the sucker here? Someone's got to be the sucker. Cause that means it's you. You know, you know what we call that? Uh, There's a term for uh, that in the business. It's called, pick, it's called right? feet. No, it's called feeding the feeding the ducks. Oh. When the ducks are quacking, feed them. So if that is if that is what, and you can watch it in the IPOs. Think about the SPAC deals of the last year and a half. It isn't. They're not IPOing it because it's good. They're IPOing it because they can sell it. They're IPOing it because there is a demand for that type of thing, and they will keep selling you those IPOs as long as there is investor money to buy them, and they don't care what happens. Another thing that people don't realize. It will, they get a chunk of the action. They want to stop. Half the time these guys do it, they collect the fees, dump the stock on the first open day of trading. Yeah. And then they, and then a lot of times they've got warrant coverage, which costs, which costs them nothing. So they get a free ride. They dump their stock. They pocket a tremendous profit right out of the gates, but they still have their warrant coverage. So if the thing does well, if it's one out of the 10 that actually makes it or one out of 20 that actually makes it great, they got free warrant coverage. They're getting a free ride. So like, explain the warrant coverage. So they, they, they dump the stock, what? but they have warrant yeah, coverage. So, yeah. So, so a lot of times in a deal, and we've done this on some of our, our private equity deals, like on the last round, we've got a small um, um, audio technology company that we invested in. And I said, yes, we'll be the lead investor on the deal, but I want additional warrant coverage for that. So now people have to take my word for it. I took 100% of that warrant coverage, which was given to me, and I spread it across our clients' funds evenly, so I gave them the extra juice. That ain't how it's done on Wall Street. Yeah. We, we, there's actually a term we call called stripping the warrants, meaning you use the client money to go in there and take the private equity or the equity position, right? You don't tell them about the warrants. So, you, so the client can lose money, the client can make money, you get paid your fee on the deal, plus you get the warrant coverage. Think of it as an option, yeah. right? It's just like options. And so if the deal works great, your clients make money, you made a ton of money on the warrants, 
But if the deal is a flop and the company goes bankrupt, you still made a ton of money on the deal. You, you didn't have any skin in the game, right? So it, it's just, and this is why it's so important. And, and it was kind of, you know, again, I'm not using this as a marketing plug, but it was one of the inspirations behind Bulwark is we just said, we want to take that hedge fund approach, that knowledge of what's really going on and put it on the side of the retail investors because retail investors are exit liquidity for markets. It, Meaning by the time they're, by the time they're in there buying, you are buying what the big boys are unloading and that is happening today in mass. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating when you have spent, I've never been at, you know, done what you do, but when you're on the other side of things and you know, sort of the phrases and things to look at in the way contracts are fixed, you know, we're negotiating with the company right now and they're, they're very good faith people. Um, They're just, there's boilerplate things that go into contracts and, you know, the first thing you kind of do is you go through and you look through the boilerplate things you're going to kill. You know, yeah. no, actually, I'm not going to agree to your jurisdiction for this. We're going to do arbitration and then the um, arbitration is going to be binding. It's going to be through the National Arbitration Association. All right. You're not going to make me spend my money to travel to your locale to go through a lawsuit if, if we're going to sue each other. That's boilerplate. But the other thing is, and I was talking with some friends of mine about this uh, at the gym, I was saying, well, I'm just trying to restructure the cash flow. They're trying to, they, they want to capture all the cash flow uh, and then pay me out of that. And I want to take the cash flow and pay them. And my friends are like, well, why would you want to do that? Right? Well, so then they're on a cost line. Why would you want them on a cost line? Well, because then that's a tax advantage for me. I don't want them to have the tax advantage. Secondly, I want first money in because, you know, they want this 60 to 90 day float before they pay me. And, and I know that all I mean, people who are in business are listening to me saying, oh, congratulations on understanding, you know, community college business class first day, Todd. That's you're super, super smart. But you, you magnify that uh, 10,000 times and you end up with sort of a, a Nancy Pelosi. Um, and I want to just bring this to your attention because I think one of the things that we fail to do sometimes, Zach, is you and I don't give enough credit um, to Joe Biden for, for, for this quality. Mr. President. Thank you for unifying and inspiring a vision of a stronger, <laughs> fairer, safer future for all, for our children. Your extraordinary leadership has made this glorious day possible. I, that's an applause line. <laughs> <laughs> she has to tell people that's an applause line. So I, I, there's a two-part question here because I, I promised to ask you a really tough question. And I do think it's really tough. But there's a two-part question here. Can people be in grift so long that grift becomes instinct? And, and here's, yes. okay, truly. So they could be otherwise demented. I've told the story about the great, you know, great wrestling coach, uh, uh, coaches who, you know, they go through their whole life, um, Dan, Dan, uh, Dan Gable. He's yeah. a wrestling coach his whole life. You know, his body's beat up, his knees hurt, his back's bent. Um, he, Iowa. Well, yeah, Iowa, yeah. Uh, undefeated until he lost one match in his life. Um, super, super amazing guy and, and very insightful and loves coaching, great with young people. But he looks old, you know. I mean, when he's old now. But walking onto a mat, he, he changed. He walks into the room, he looks old. His feet touch the wrestling mat. All yeah. of a sudden, he is Dan Gable. Now, or there's another great instance of a guy who had um, early on stage dementia and Alzheimer's and 
Um, he's eating breakfast with his family and, and it's very sad. He points, he wants the milk, but he doesn't know what it's called. So he's pointing to the milk. Someone gives him more milk. He puts someone in his coffee and then they go to the front room and there's his piano. All of a sudden the arthritis is gone. All of a sudden the dementia is gone and he plays like the concert penis that he is. Now that's all positive, but does Joe Biden, do you think grift has become part of Biden where it's almost instinctual? Like he wakes up in a dream, ah, where's my 10%? Ah, I want, I, 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 we don't have double wars in that. Wait, I said, no, don't, uh, I set off, uh, fingerprints off. Uh, that's got to be offshored. <laughs> not the Dubai account, Hunter, that, not the Dubai account. You've got really good at that, man. Uh, <laughs> it cracks me up. Uh, yeah, no, and the reason I say yes is because um, if you, if you, talk to people and know people and work with people that are on wall street that that yes, that's baked into the cake. Nobody cares about the investment results for the, the retail advisor or excuse me, the retail client. No, that's not even talked about. It doesn't matter. It's all about deal flow. How much money are we making as a firm? And it just baked into the cake. It's just the, and if you're part of that quote unquote swamp that long, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like anything, when you're that close to it, you get desensitized to it, you get anesthetized to it, and, and it just becomes the way things are done to the point where if you pointed out it was grift to some of them. Uh, now, there are some people, like the Pelosi's, I just firmly believe that that's, they know what they're doing is wrong. Um, but I think there's some people like Biden where it's just like, wait, what do you mean? That's how we do what, that. What's wrong with that? I, yeah, I'm getting a little kickback. What, what's the problem? Like Harry Reid. Right, growing up poor in Searchlight, Nevada, didn't he leave? Did when he left Congress, didn't he have like a fifty or sixty million dollar net worth? Yeah, right. I mean, and it's his, just the way things are done. Yeah, and it's real funny. His uh, wayward brother all of a sudden became a brilliant real estate investor with help from the Chinese uh, investors who were getting lands really on the cheap right after sort of federal rules came along. And then Harry had that unfortunate accident where he um, beat himself up with an exercise band. Yeah, that'll happen to you. <laughs> All right, so here's the uh, here's the conspiracy question of the day. Um, you have heard me play, so you know they're real. It's not it's not made up. Um, all these clips from the World Economic Forum people saying we don't need most human beings. Um, we need to kill in an equitable and slow and fair fashion. Kill and help die six billion people. Um, there's the Guidestones. The world should now return to a population of 500 million people. And these guys are all financial players, mm -hmm. right? They are the players. Mm -hmm. So two-part question. One, am I right in assuming that these people have also become, I mean, it, it stands to reason that they're greedy people. They're avaricious. They serve themselves, not others. Um, they believe there's scarcity. I think that their souls are scared because I think their souls have a sense of your time is short. Um, you're not going to have anything soon. All is going to be taken from you. You're going to be in hell. And I think their souls sense that. So they're scrambling and, and grabbling, uh, to use a phrase I've heard, to, to, to take this stuff on. And, and, you know, I think that's a racist phrase, by the way. I should have used that. But stealing and, you know, grifting to have that. Um, but what's the win? 
with fewer people? Is it that they have more water and more food? Or is it something worse than that in your mind? What what's the, what's the financial win for there's only 500 million people? What is it? Oh, man. I, you know, I've thought a lot about that. I think that it's, I think avarice is a big part of it. Um, and then I also think that in the absence, in the absence of God, just like the absence of sunlight, bad things grow. It just happens. And it, it, it's amazing how what grows becomes the opposite of what is good. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, you know, it's like moss, right? Like it's, it's needs an acidic environment and no sunlight. Right. And, and, and it will take over. And even to the point where it kills the host, right? The grass and, and, the, and the soil and makes it, you know, just, just a mess. I, I, I don't really know because there isn't, there isn't a, yeah, there, I mean, population growth is, is one of the biggest drivers of economic activity. So, you know, it's not because they want the profit margins of the companies to go up, but I just think when you completely exit the existence of something that holds you morally accountable. If you, in any business, if I did that, if I didn't wake up every single day and guys, I am not a perfect person. I need grace. It's the, <laughs> I need it. I need it bad. Um, but if, if, if you don't wake up and realign yourself, especially in today's culture, it's everything you want, including sex is at the push of a button, right? It's easy. It's anonymous. And, and, those things just grow, those appetites grow and it just gets out there. If you, if you look at this whole population declining thing, this motivation, this has been in the cards. I mean, this was one of the, this is one of the underlying, you know, theories of Margaret Sanger. You know, there, there was an environmental aspect to what she was talking about. And if you think about what type of scientific information those people were working with back then, it shows you how scientifically bankrupt the same idea is today. The idea that we can't survive with more than it's complete nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's complete nonsense. And I, I just think it's evil. I just think why in the world would people vote for a politician that wants to let a transvestite that you don't know read to your kindergartner? Like that is not make you extreme because you're not comfortable with that. Why would you push that? What societal benefit? Well, they're not going to feel alienated. Well, what, I mean, are we talking about one ten thousandth of the population in terms of a percentage of the overall population? And, and like, why, what, look at the, remember the law they passed down in California not too long ago, uh, Todd, where they rejiggered the, um, the statutory rape legislation, where now the new law is it's starting at 14 it's only statutory rape if you sleep with somebody that is 10 years older than you. So a postgraduate guy that just got his PhD can be sleeping with a freshman in high school and that's not statutory rape. Why would anybody say that that's okay? You know what I mean? So yeah. I just think it's that, I, I, unfortunately, I wish there was a scientific way we could look at it. I just think it's a spiritual answer. Just in the absence of God, evil grows. There is no such thing as staying in the middle. You're moving one way or the other. Sure. And, and I, I just, I just I, think that's it. I agree. I, I totally agree. And I would also say this, that um, if you look at Satan and man, I've had listeners say Satan doesn't exist. 
and they're Christian people saying Satan doesn't exist. He's in our minds. Um, that's, but guys, I promise you, the Bible doesn't say that. The, the Lord Jesus uh, spoke to the apostles of the evil one um, being in control of this world. Revelation, the book thereof, the book of Revelation is about the war um, to finally lock Satan away. He's real and he's documented in the Bible. Um, that Satan is a liar, a thief, and a murderer. He cannot create, he cannot imagine, he cannot have joy. Um, he can twist, he can lie, he can distort, he can kill. Uh, he mm -hmm. mocks humanity. Now, who would love to go to God and say, remember those six billion souls you were going to have? Yeah. I got them. Yep. I got them because I hastened the end and I beat you to them. I, 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 we shrunk the population. So now there's only five, 500 million of these disgusting things in the eyes of Satan. We're disgusting things. And mm -hmm. what I will bring back to this conversation, because it can get very, very depressing, is I, I, I am endlessly amused by God looking there and going, Satan, when are you going to get this? When I say a thing, it has already been done. When mm -hmm. I speak mm -hmm. a thing, I think a thing, it has been done. You cannot surprise me. There's nothing you can do. So I think back now to the World Economic Forum people. And I think back now to their clever crafted plans. And I would love to sit down with them and go, you know, did, I, did you know that this has happened throughout history? Did you know that mass killings, even of infants, has happened throughout history. Do you know that God has dealt with people just like you before? Do you know that there's nothing unique except for your tech that you didn't make? I would love to sit there and do that. Um, hey, next week, it'll be interesting because by then, inflation really will be. Biden had said that he's personally destroyed it. I expect next week to have a different conversation um, and that it'll just be a flipped economy. Um, and I think we can all celebrate that, Zach, don't you? And it's going to be like flipping a light switch. And just as a warning to people, yeah, these are, these are easy things, right? Yeah. Right. We're, we're going to spend, we're going to six, spend 600 billion and get inflation under wraps. All right. Uh, I mean, I literally, I keep using the water analogy, but that's like saying I'm going to jump in the lake to get dry. I mean, it's just ridiculous, there but, but I, I will say this to the folks, um, you know, I don't expect all of you to call us or anybody else, but you know, hopefully the words have resonated to you because I know there was a lot of false dawn talk at least two, three weeks ago. Oh, we, we bought them. But yeah. Guys, look, yesterday was just another preview of what's going to be happening. This ain't over. And uh, everybody's focused on the inflation bogey right now, Todd. Nobody's talking about the health of the underlying economy. It's ugly. It's yeah. ugly. Let's make, and, and not just here, internationally, it's even worse. So um, let's make that the conversation you know, next week um, because I want yeah. people to be armed on that. And yeah, knowyourriskradio.com, Zach Abraham, Bulwark Capital Management. I keep forgetting to plug all my stuff in, Zach. My battery's dying. Now, now listeners know I'm a big fool. Forgot to plug stuff <laughs> in. So I'll just wish you um, God's good grace. And I, I thank you every single week. It's always fun. Hey, right, right, right back at you, pal. And God bless you and all the listeners. And um, button up, folks. It's going to be a wild ride. It is. And this is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. Uh, and yeah, listen, just celebrate the fact that God has a standing with Christ Jesus in victory. Not in thinking there might be victory, uh, but in victory itself. 